So I've uh, assembled the Avengers, the dream team, the legacy <laughs> team, the OG team, some of the founding pastors of New Life Community Church. How old is New Life? Well, it all depends. We look at 1986 as the beginning of what we would call New Life Community Church. Yeah. And oftentimes we talk about new life. We talk about the story, right? The the river and and that, you know, you say the date, but new life started. I mean, God's church has been going a long time and new life's kind of just taken its place in a ver- relatively short history. You know, 30, 35 plus years is not, not that long of a time. So today we're talking about the beginning, you know, what God did and how all of your stories kind of interweave together to this beautiful picture of what God has been doing in a city like Chicago and honestly far, far beyond. So the beginning, we're going back. So talk to me about the beginning. Yeah, I see this as just a God story. And um, these uh, brothers were a part of that God story along with a lot of other people uh, but it's a it's a beautiful story of God taking broken the little the poor uh, in a tough neighborhood in the center of Chicago and saying I'm going to show people what I can do with almost nothing, mm-hmm. and uh, I love that really about the story of New Life because New Life started in the most unpredictable unusual uh, place. Kind of like Jesus in Nazareth, you know, what good can come out of Nazareth? And I love that God does that uh, with these stories. Mm. We could start at a lot of places. Let me start with the first story. When I think of new life, uh, we could go way back, but I want to start, I would start in 1984. It's back of the yards neighborhood, a primarily Hispanic community. People have moved out. There's gunshots that can be heard at nighttime. Uh, There's people that are moving out as quickly as they can. There's gang activity. Um, There's residue of a neighborhood that used to be, but now is changing. Uh, Drug dealers on the corner. In this building on the corner of 44th and Polina, it's a Wednesday night. There's three women in the basement. They're gathered around a table, and they're praying. Oh, Lord, we pray for our church. We pray that it won't close. We pray, God, that you would do something. We haven't had a pastor for several years. Our congregation is dwindling. Uh, The neighborhood is tough. But, Lord, we know that you have a purpose and a plan for this church. Three ladies that would gather on Wednesday night to pray that God would do something. I believe in the power of prayer, and I believe that it's, I believe it's the prayer of these ladies that gathered together when the church was small, hadn't had a pastor. Um, people were driving out by the, the church, getting out of the neighborhood. But these three ladies, older ladies, they couldn't preach, they couldn't sing, but they could pray. And they prayed, God, do something in this place. Mm, yeah, And those prayers were kind of off the cuffs of the Philip Nystrom story. Yeah. Correct? Which who was a student of the Moody Bible Institute who no. had, was that right or no? No, uh, but... I'm just trying to give Moody a good boost. <laughs> <laughs> it, it involves, <laughs> it involves Moody. Well, if we, if we, if we go further back, 
it's kind of a restart in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. If we go further back, the story that I'm told is that there was a businessman by the name of Philip Nystrom mm -hmm. that um, ran into a young man that lived in back of the yards neighborhood. And as he went into the neighborhood, he realized there was no evangelical church that he could find there. Mm -hmm. And so he got a burden for this this young man that was in the community, in the neighborhood, didn't see any churches. And so out of his own pocket, he rented a storefront so that they could start a kids club. And so he contacted Moody Bible Institute and students from Moody would come out and run the kids club. And uh, they just had this little place there. Philip would help sponsor it. Moody students would come in and help run this kid for uh, club for kids who really didn't go to church, mainly Hispanic kids. Among them was a young boy whose parents were not believers. He would sneak over to the kids club because his parents didn't really want him to be a part of this. His name was Daniel Marquez, my father-in-law, mm. who uh, just recently at the age of 93 passed away. Mm. And um, he got saved in that church. And out of that little church eventually developed a little storefront church that became known as the Berean Bible Mission. Yeah, who in yeah. turn bought the Russian Orthodox Church on 44th and Polina, which became Berean Memorial Baptist Church, yeah. and then enters in new life several years later with this young Moody student, yeah. Mark Joe. And, and, you know, all so, of us... So bring us back to that. Bring us back to, okay, so you told us a story a little bit, uh, roughly, about 1984. So these three ladies that are that are praying. Um, where are you in 1984? Where are you guys? So 1984, um, let's go back a little bit. You know, we were all at different places, probably, and yeah. we all intersect with the story. And so uh, while these three ladies are praying, 1984... Um, praying, oh God, don't let this little church die. Oh God, do something in this. Praying together in this basement because no one else would come. Three ladies agreeing together in this little basement. 1984, I had come from Spain to Chicago to go to the Moody Bible Institute. I heard of this place called Moody, never been there, thought I'd go one year. God was getting a hold of me, wrestling with my heart. And so I was studying at the Moody Bible Institute at that time. I had just recently met my roommate, an Italian guy who got saved at a beer party and uh, named John Paul Mary, fresh off of conversion about a year into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were starting to room together in downtown Chicago, 1502. John, you want to tell them a little bit how you... Yeah, there. John, I what I want to hear is what was your first impression of Mark? Come on, when you saw him step on the floor, you're I a new believer. First, I remember the first uh, moment I met him. He was uh, he was late that semester because he was in in France, I believe. Yeah, coming, and I thought, well, who's going to be my roommate? Who's going to be my roommate? And I had just gotten saved. I was a year old in the Lord that August, uh, and uh, I remember when he walked in the room. It was uh, dark. He woke me up. 
I was sleeping. No. <laughs> and, uh, but here comes this guy with like long hair. He's got a jean jacket on, you know, and I'm thinking, man, I got a worldly, you know, I got a worldly uh, roommate. Great. You know, cause I was, I connected all that kind of things to worldliness, but yeah, that was my first impression. And uh, yeah, we hit it off right off, right off the beginning. You know, I always joke around. I had a chance to lead him to the Lord and, and baptize him, but it's, it's the opposite of that. But um, yeah, that was my first impression. And that's, to me, the God story starts, you know, pre, pre-Moody. You know, I think that uh, God had it in his providence all along and in his plan to uh, have these streams, these, these individual lives kind of come together, meet in Chicago, because God had a bigger story, way bigger yeah. than uh than we could ever imagine i remember the first time meeting asa it was mm-hmm. at moody yeah. it was right in front of the elevators of colbertson hall yep. and he was a missionary kid wearing a fireman jacket of some sort black jacket you remember that it was right. a hand-me-down from a thrift store oh you were a missionary yeah. kid, right his yeah. pants were a little too short and <laughs> yeah. uh he spoke a little with an accent and, yeah uh, but these yeah. are just like my first time meeting a missionary yeah. two missionary kids one from spain yeah. You know, one from, one from Mexico, and, you know, this was all new territory for me. And it was just a fun uh, adventure, you know. It was a real, real, real neat thing. Not knowing that this, the guy was putting together this team uh, of, of very unassuming young guys that just had a fire for the Lord. And um, God was putting together this team that, that would actually be a part of helping this small church in back of the yards that you would never imagine. But God had a heart for it. Yeah, there's streams. Yeah. And Mike, uh, were you saved in 1984? So I came to Christ in 1983. Grew okay. In the suburbs of Chicago, went to a state school, Western Illinois University. Shout out. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at all. Uh, had gone to a church growing up, but very uh, liberal church, so to speak, liberal theologically. Didn't have the gospel at all. Met a Christian, came to Christ in 83. So reach out to teenagers, college students are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives changed my life. So I was still 83, 84, 85, 86, trying to figure life out. Went to college, didn't know what I was going to do, but I just kind of figured I'll go on, get a degree and find a job somewhere. Was changing, attending church, had no desire for leadership, no desire, had no idea of ministry. Um, so one of the guys in the small group I went to, the Navigators Ministry was running it, had gone to Moody and he kept planting the seed about Moody. So I wound up going there in 87, after all, you guys had graduated, so I just missed the party with you guys being a booty. <laughs> yeah. I was just a little later, but I came in 87 and wound up at New Life in 88. So I was a little bit later, uh, but came to Christ in college and eventually, whole long story, wound up back in Chicago and at Moody and then at New Life. I, I love it. So in, in 19, go back a little bit, 1983, these ladies are praying, probably 83, 84. Mike's just coming to Christ. Little do they know that they're praying and who knows, Mike, maybe their prayers were helping lead you to Christ. And there was a 17-year-old guy at a beer party coming to Christ, a college kid coming to Christ, someone wrestling with, do I want to come to Chicago? Someone uh, from yeah. Mexico kind of uh, making their way. God is behind the scenes bringing these threads together. Little did we know that we would end up in back of the yards neighborhood, southwest side of Chicago. If you talk to any of us at that time, probably none of us would have even thought, I I even think about coming to the south side of Chicago. Yeah, that's the last place I wanted to live in is Chicago. My goal was to be at Moody, and then I felt like it was kind of interesting because when we first visited the church, you had already become the pastor and you said, I'll give you three years, and then I'm out of here. Yeah. And uh, it, it was interesting because 
I, I see it even way farther back is my dad and it served in that little mission when mm. he was at Moody. Mm. So what's interesting to me is that God uh, even goes further back because he, I, I, one day I, it hit me. Like I, I saw Dan Marquez, your father-in-law, and I, I, it hit me. And I, it, I, I thought, man, he, he invested in my life mm. growing up. Financially, he he supported. He was a the Marquez family was the biggest supporter of our family, in the church. It was the strongest family in the church at that time growing up, and so any, every time we came to Chicago, it was let's go visit the Marquez family mm. at, at that little church, that little mission. And and it it's interesting because I I told Dan that one day I says you know what I says thank you Dan for investing in my life. He says what I says you gave. Uh, for so many years, you invested in my life. Little did you know that God was going to bring me back to Chicago and and, and bear fruit here mm. uh, for the kingdom of God. So it's like there's a God story that yeah. many times there's like these streams that come in together. It's just amazing. And uh, but so, so that so just to be clear, so you're saying that your family that were missionaries in Mexico, right? Yep, were sponsored by the, Mar- the little mission church. The little mission ch- church. Um, and the Marquez family, and this is this is correct, right? When you would come to visit the U.S., you would actually stay with the Marquez family, yep. which, uh, Dad, that's your that's wife. That's my, my uh, wife, D. her side of the family, yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's kind of a crazy connection. It, it is, but, but see, the, it, but answer to prayer, I mean, that's huge. And uh, I remember the first time we visited the church, my wife and I were still at Moody, and D. at that time, you're, you know, your wife, Mark, uh, had come, and, and she invited Elizabeth and I to come. So we went, and it was really weird because I, I just—we uh, went, and there was nothing to behold. There was no worship team. There was a guy that they—you know, uh, Bob Kaufman, was it? Yeah. That basically uh, played Paul, the organ. Paul or Kaufman. Or Paul Kaufman, yeah. And he played the organ or the piano. And if he was there, they had music. If not— <laughs> and, and then the first Sunday we went, there was a girl that stood up, a young girl, and she apologized the whole time for not being able to time have time to prepare for the Sunday school. And it's like, and we just sat there, and we're Moody students, and by that time you're analytical <laughs> and different things. But it was really interesting. So on the way home, you have this conversation, you know, with, with your spouse. or not, We weren't even married at the time. And Elizabeth says, I'm not going back there again. And I, I during that service, I felt like God says, this is where I want you to connect. And so... On the way home, I, I, I says, you know what? You can go wherever you want. We're not married, you know. You can go wherever you want, but I feel like God told me to stay here. Mm-hmm. And so there's this answer to prayer, right? Yeah. Like these mm-hmm. three older ladies. Yeah. Three older ladies that are praying. God is moving behind the scenes, and God always works that way. He's bubbling things mm-hmm. up, bringing pieces together, creating relationships. 1983, these guys are coming to Christ. We're wrestling with call. 1982, I'm coming from Spain. Um, Ace is still in Mexico, I believe. God is bringing people to Chicago. John is in Baltimore. Mike is in Deerfield. Uh, Ace is in Mexico. I'm in Spain. God is bringing people to Chicago to form a team that'll eventually go to back of the yards neighborhood and a team that uh, really, after almost uh, 40 years, is still together, and we've seen tens of thousands of people come to Christ and God do some incredible things. But you think back and think, started with three ladies praying. So you guys are in your 20s, 
So what was the plan? I mean, three of you were at Moody. Mike, you went to uh, Moody a little bit later. What, what was the plan? Like finish Moody and do what? What were you thinking? I wanted to go overseas. That was my goal. I was a missionary kid. My wife was a missionary kid. Our desire was to be on the mission field. So the mission field to us was outside of the U.S., right? You come out of Moody, you're like a horse ready to take off on a race. And and then, but then God intervened and, and it felt like God just says, okay. And my plan was also, I had this idea of three years. I really need to get a home church, ascending church, and then that'll be it. But God had to redefine, you know, through a breaking in my life uh, to redefine mission for me. And so now my motto is, Wherever God plants me, um, dig deep roots, bear a lot of fruit, and then if God asks you to go, go. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. My plan was I came to Chicago to take one year of Bible college at Moody Bible Institute. God got a hold of my heart, so I thought I want to do something that counts for eternity. If you had asked me in 1984 what I was going to do, I would have said I'm going to go back to Spain northern Spain to the boss country and do something related to evangelism probably not pastor because I don't think I was the pastor type but do something related to evangelism John I had uh, I had no master plan I other than a desire to live for Jesus and uh, the rest of my life and I had romantic ideas of what maybe a pastor would be that I would pastor this country church in the country with mm. pine trees and a picket <laughs> fence or something like that you know I had really no idea you know I thought when I was really young that I would be a priest mm. I grew up a Roman Catholic I thought for sure I'd be a priest um, but it became super clear the day that I got saved at that beer party that I was going to live for God the rest of my life and uh so that that pastor told me to go to Chicago. I had no idea where Chicago was. I had to look on a map, you know, <laughs> and um, that it was Chicago. So I ended up going to Moody. But yeah, I had no plan other than live for the Lord, one hundred percent. Back in those days, Moody was a three-year school, so you had to go to a different school to get your degree. So I went back to Baltimore and and finished off my degree working uh, at a construction site in downtown Baltimore. Um, that was quite a story. But that's when I got the phone call from Mark, you know, hey, I'm uh, the, the church here in back of the yard is starting to grow. I need an assistant pastor. And I said, how about if you could be my assistant pastor, Mark? That would be great. <laughs> no, I'll be the new pastor. It didn't work out. But uh, that's that's how that that's how I ended up coming back into Chicago after finishing off my degree there in Baltimore. So good. Yeah. So how did you so how did you you know, you these three ladies are praying, you're at Moody Talk yeah. to us about the story about how you got to 44th and Polina. Because Asa and John have alluded, hey, we, this is when we came on board. But where, where was the starting point for this yeah. whole you know, you know, thing that wasn't even called New Life at that point? Right. So what happened is that, um, as John said, Moody was a three-year program at the time. Mm-hmm. And so you had to finish up your degree, and then you had to go elsewhere uh, to finish up. So... Um, John's at Moody. I, I, I meet John. He becomes my roommate. We're out in the streets doing evangelism. We, we have a real connection. We both have a real passion for evangelism. I meet Asa. He's an MK. So I know these three guys. Uh, Mike's a little bit later. In So 
I go to, to finish up the Bible, Bible college, and because I'm dating Dee, my, uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time, I want to come back to Chicago for the summer, but I want to help out in a ministry while I'm in Chicago. So she calls up a friend and says, hey, Mark's looking to get involved in ministry. He's going to Spain, so he'd like for it to be a Spanish-speaking community. Any suggestions? And this is Mike Polcock, who was a friend of ours and did our premarital counseling. He says, what about the mission church you grew up in, D? You know, they don't have a pastor. It's in a Hispanic neighborhood. They could really use the help. Mm. And so I said, okay, I'll check it out. So I came for the summer to work at a factory because I'm paying my way through college. And um, I go to visit the little mission. And my first time there, it's a Sunday evening. There's 12 people, literally. Uh, there's a guy that gets up and sings a cappella. It's in a little old neighborhood. And I remember leaving and telling D man, I, I wouldn't go to that church if it was my choice. This is, this is a pretty rough little, this is a pretty rough little church. But I was there for the summer. So I thought, this is where I'm going to go. They said, could you help lead a kid's club? And so I'm working at a national can factory on 51st Street, paying my way through college. But I figured I'll help this little church out for the summer. So we run a kid's club, D&I. She lives here. She's working. We see a bunch of kids. About 100 kids are coming to this little place. I'm having a blast. The leaders there of this small church say, they, they say, can we have a meeting with you? I said, sure. I'm getting to know them. They're in, uh, teaching me. I'm 20 years old at the time. 20 years old, never pastored. And they say... And you're viewing this like a short-term thing. You're like, hey, I'm just helping out for a little bit. I'm just helping out for the summer and and can't wait to get out of Chicago. And my girlfriend's here, so I'm, I'm here uh, for my girlfriend. And uh, they say to me, we really like, we'd really like for you to consider to come and be our pastor. Um, what do you think about that? I'm like, mm, well, I'm going, I'm going to Europe. So I'm thinking to myself, ghetto, inner city, gangs. Uh, I mean, this uh, is pretty radically different than what you were raised in, too. I mean, you were raised in a 200-person. I lived in a village in Spain, the little <laughs> little village of 200 people in Spain. And so this is a culture shock for me. I'm being inducted to Chicago. Um, this is a, a totally different culture. And they say, would you consider coming and being our pastor? And so I started praying. I was working at the factory, and um, I, I didn't like Chicago. I have eight hours on an assembly line at this factory for a summer job. And so I spent a lot of time praying, and I felt like I had this sort of like, get me out of the city, don't like the congestion, all this. And I said, Lord, help me to love the city a little bit more. And 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 God, if you want me to, to be here for a little, if you want me to say yes, you make it clear. And I felt like the Holy Spirit um, said to me, I want you to love the people in the city. You don't have to love the city, but love the people that I love. I felt like it was a breaking moment on that assembly line. I went, I drove back to the little church and I felt like my eyes were different. I felt like I was saying, God, want, I, I want to love the people. I saw people different. Mm. I saw people walking down the street different. I feel like, okay, God's not telling me to love the structure of the city, but love the people of the city. So I went back to these, this couple of guys that had asked me and I said, I would be willing when I finish Bible school, because I'm still in school, 
I have one semester to go. I would be willing to come back and help you out for three years until I go to the mission field. They said, uh, okay, we can pay you uh, $17,000 a year. We don't have any staff. We don't have a parsonage. And, um, you know, we don't have a worship team. We have this building, but come and help us. And so I went back and I finished my semester at Bible college. I proposed to my fiance the last day of graduate in Columbia Bible College. And we got in the car and drove up to Chicago. And six months later, I was married. I started pastoring at the age of 21 and said, okay, I'm here to help this church out. And God, you do what I was. I remember walking the first day into that little building. No one's there. It's empty. Going into the back, opening up my Bible and thinking, okay, I'm the pastor of this church now. No one's in the building. It's Im practically empty on Sunday morning. What do I do? And so I thought, I do what I'm passionate about, evangelize. I'm just going to go out and evangelize. So, so I just started going on the street, talking to everybody that I could. Then I, I went to the congregation, the small congregation. I said, if you have a relative, uh, a, a, a son, daughter, husband that you want me to visit and talk about the uh, about the Lord give me their names and numbers and I'll go visit them and come with me and so I just started visiting everybody that I could and I would just go and talk to them about the Lord and if I could lead them to Christ and so that's just what we started to do we just started to evangelize as many people as possible now there was no worship team and so I played the ovation guitar I started with, I would play the guitar, put down my guitar, and then I would preach. And I would clean the bathrooms and the pigeon poo on the bell tower. And this was just, I'm, I'm 21 years old, um, starting out with this little group and um, thinking, what am I doing here? There's gangbangers on the corner selling drugs on the corner and a very small church, but God starts to do something mm -hmm. people start coming to christ they're rough they're tough they're out of jail they're way out of my league the church starts growing um uh this young couple that's dating starts attending from moody and they they come and i cast the vision for hey come help us out a little bit they're dating having marital they're having dating issues and uh i bring and that's, them that's ace and elizabeth that's ace and elizabeth his wife and so he's like 20 years old 18 19 years old um and how how quickly did you come to new life at that point like we started i think coming I think we visited in 85 and I think 80, we, we got married in 87. So it had to be 86, 86. So like a year or two after. Yeah. Early on as we started, cause we were recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, we, um, we, we did their, there. uh, we were doing their helping. They them. were six months married and they, they, they did premarital for us. Yeah. We were experts. <laughs> <laughs> and then John, what, how, how much after Asa or around Asa did you, you know, I don't. Eighty-seven. Really, I don't remember all yeah. the all the dates. I do remember my first time in the building was uh, for Mark's wedding. Oh right, eighty-six. I, eighty-six. I came, flew in from Baltimore, and was uh, 
replacing the carpet going down the middle of the, <laughs> <laughs> the church. Getting Some the people church. stand up for the, uh, I said, hey, John, we need to, we need new carpet. So John John is replacing the carpet down the aisle I'm of the church. Uh, yeah, we're helping get the church, you know, looking good. Every, <laughs> time, little, every time there was a wedding or something, the church would get a new makeover. It was, <laughs> it was awesome. It was a little rundown and church. And I'm the nickel of the people that were, that were getting ready to do the wedding for. But that's when, that was my first entry. And it was even then at that time, it felt, so in hindsight appropriate it felt yeah. like this was a place i belonged i remember the day that i was putting the carpet in i was in the breezeway of the church on my knees when christine my wife walked in it was not my wife at that time she walked in and introduced herself to me i was on my knees and i looked up you know at her and like the sky opened up and trumpets <laughs> this is gonna be, be your angels descended this, i'm not kidding you true story it was like an audible voice this is gonna be your wife but it went in and went out, and I forgot about it. I really did. And uh, and then I, after the wedding, went back to Baltimore, back onto the construction site, and uh, was working there when a little bit later Mark gave me the call. So I think my the spring, it was March of 87. I had to finish yeah. off. I got the invite in 86, and then when I finished that degree, uh, I jumped, put everything I owned in my little Ford Escort, everything I owned, and drove uh, to Chicago. Um, in one shot. I mean, it was like a 12, 13 hour drive. And the day that I was driving in that day, um, I was coming up over the overpass and uh, it was like I was descending into this, it was super foggy day. It was dark. It was during the day, but it was dark and foggy. It was one of those Chicago days. Mm. And, it, and it brought back the memory of a, of a dream that Mark had had earlier, uh, years before when we were students at Moody of the muddy city. Mark can tell you a little bit about that dream, but it was then that I called him up and said, hey, I'm, I'm almost in Chicago. Where do I go? There's no GPSs at that time. <laughs> she gave me some directions. I said, I'm coming into the muddy city. Yeah. And that kind of sprung uh, some ideas in our mind. So Mark can talk more about that. But Yeah, so so think about it. We're, we're like 21 years old. I mean, we're, 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 ca- we're 21 years old, not from the city, being called to a tough neighborhood mm-hmm. in the city. Uh, a couple of years before, when John and I were roommates, um, I woke up early in the morning and I'd had a very, very vivid dream. And this didn't typically happen to me. Um, I think this is the only time I've written down a dream like this, but it was so vivid, vivid. I felt like it was, it had a prophetic edge to it, like maybe God's doing something through mm-hmm. this dream. And in the dream, John and I are walking down this road together we walk into the city and it's dark and muddy and gloomy and all the people have mud all over of them and they're looking out their windows as we're walking and we're clean but they're full of mud and we 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 look at this muddy city and we say how can these people get clean and as we're walking down we see a little church and we say, hey, we knock on the door of the church and the person opens quietly and sees us and says, you're clean. Come in, come in real fast. And we come inside. They said, all the dirty people are out there. Um, we want to keep this place clean. And the person shows us inside how clean it is, how pristine it is. And John and I are saying, well, well what about the muddy people? How are they going to get clean? No, no, no. We don't want the muddy people in here because they'll dirty this place up. And and at the end of the dream, I remember we're, we're going kind of on this wall trying to get back to the muddy people feeling like we got to help them get clean 
And I didn't know exactly what it meant, but I felt like it was, I felt like John and I were going to do some ministry together and it was going to be evangelistic. And when John brought it up, I looked in my journal and I read the dream again and I thought, you know, we're in a muddy city in the sense of people that are unclean and most churches aren't reaching the people that we're trying to reach. These are muddy people, broken people. And I felt like it was just a reassurance. God, we want this church to be for broken people, people that are unchurched, people that maybe other churches would close the door on, say, you don't belong here. And so we opened wide the, the doors of our church. And, and sure enough, in the early days, they were gangbangers and ex-alcoholics. And they were a, it was a pretty mm -hmm. rough crew that was coming to Christ. All brokenness. Uh, yeah. People without a church background and, and a rough little crowd was coming in. And that became the seedlings of what is now New Life Community Church. So John came in at E7. He came while he was a Moody student. And Mike started attending when he was uh, studying in, in seminary. 88 West. So again, I uh, come to Christ in 83. I finished college. My vision was just get a job, live a comfortable life. I'm going to live the Christian life. Uh, the Lord had really worked in my life, but I had no desire for leadership. Didn't understand it. Never had been around people in ministry. Didn't know anything about that. Um, but again, by the end of college, I started to pray, what should I do? What job should I pursue? And I felt like the Lord told me, Moody, clearly heard hmm. I should go there. And again, one guy, thank God for him. He's a missionary in France now. This guy who had been at Moody, had come to the school I was at. He kept talking about Moody. He would always invite people to go visit Moody. I never went with him. Discovery days back in the day. But finally, I said, I think I'm supposed to apply. So I applied. There was a one-year program, kind of like a gap year. Hmm. So I went. It's so good for young adults to have something they can pour themselves into. Went there, learned the Bible. I had never read the whole Bible. I didn't know anything about I didn't know anything about missionaries. I feel like everyone in Moody had been in youth groups and Bible camps and <laughs> mission trips. I felt like I was the, I was the last guy at Moody. Man. I, I'm the least qualified guy here. But I threw myself in, went to a lot of ministries, really, and I felt I really loved the city. I didn't know the city, didn't know ministry. Um, but during that time, I, I wound up, I was blessed with a great roommate, a guy named Art. And I found out later, actually, uh, Asa had met him, and they played soccer together. This guy was a missionary yeah. kid from yeah. Argentina. The missionary kids ruled in soccer back in the day. <laughs> That's right. Man. I think it's still yeah. the case. So. <laughs> yeah, I think they won a national championship. Yeah, we did go to the nationals. Yeah, yeah. I heard about it a few times. Um, but anyway, this guy, he kept inviting me to new life. But I was uh, doing a Sunday school at another church, and so I kept putting him off. And being from the suburbs, when he said southwest side, I said, I don't think I'd fit in down there, man. I'd never been south of Roosevelt Avenue. I said, no thanks. But he kept inviting me. So I went through the whole school year. And by the end of the year, I loved it, grew a lot, but I didn't know what I was going to do. I was not ready to lead anything. Again, one year of Bible school, very young Christian still. Um, so I called him up finally and said, let me visit your church. And he was living on the southwest side. And I said, you know, I need a home church and I need a wife. Those are two things. <laughs> I don't have to be a pastor. I don't need to be on staff. I'll get a job. But I need a great home church and a great wife. So I took, it was the bus. There was no orange line. So I took the bus down here. He was living at 43rd and Campbell walked down 43rd Street to 44th and Plina, which is this industrial road, 43rd Street, if you know mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I'm like, where's the neighborhood, man? There's all just factories. Where's the neighborhood? Um, we finally get there and uh, walked in the service right away. I felt like the Lord said, this is home. Yeah. I felt, felt at home right there. So 88, the church was already, I want to say 150 people. So I didn't know anything about the last two years. I didn't know any of you guys. Just It was brand new. 
but it was amazing. I felt like the Lord just opened up things for me. Interesting too, it was almost everyone was in their 20s, which mm -hmm. is very unusual for churches. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, very, very exceptional. Great worship preaching. I met this young woman in a pew right there that I later on started talking to. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to not date for a year. But I started talking to this young woman, Debbie Gonzalez, and we, we chit-chatted a little bit and eventually wound up dating, eventually got married. So 88 came to the church, uh, just start, got a job, just started working, uh, started dating in 90, got married in 92. By the way, for ministry, I had no special skills. I, I never felt like I was called to be a preacher, even though at Moody that was the majority of the guys wanted to be preachers, lead pastors, or missionaries. But I said, I want to be part of disciple making. Hmm. I want to make a difference. Um, so I looked at a lot of parachurch groups, but then I heard about support raising. I didn't know what that was. I didn't come from a Christian background. So there's no way I'm going to be able to raise support. So I'll just get a job, be in a great church. And so I jumped in. Um, because I didn't have musical skills, I got put in the parking lot. That was my <laughs> main ministry in back of the yards, especially at night in the summer. Oh, it was tough. <laughs> the church didn't have a parking lot, but we used the park district parking lot. So I learned a little inner city culture there being in the parking lot, but uh, it was a good yeah. experience. So I just learned to serve, bottom line. So I came to the church in 88, thanks to Asa for uh, reaching out to someone that reached out to me and uh, loved it. I said, I'm just going to jump in here. This is my community and I'll serve wherever I can. Yeah. So, you know, what's amazing though, think about this. Deerfield. Deerfield is an upper middle class suburb. You know, I was Mike's, on the middle class side. <laughs> Mike's, Mike's coming to the city. John's in Baltimore, Maryland. He's from the East Coast. Asa's from Mexico, not a city environment like a rancho. I mean, grew up kind of a rancho out yeah. in the middle of nowhere. I'm from a town of 200 people. And God, is, God brings us together to the heart of Chicago, to an inner city neighborhood. This isn't a church that's well-defined, well-built. Mm -hmm. This is a little struggling, basically almost like a storefront in back-of-the-yards neighborhood, but bringing people together uh, with this sense that, supernaturally, with the sense that, God, you're about to do something mm -hmm. in this place. Yeah. So God draws you guys from all these different places. What keeps you? What, what are some of the, the, the moments that kind of connect with you or the God moments maybe um, that make you just sure that, okay, you're in the door, right? You're here. You don't know, hey, I want to be a part of this community. But what, what happens in that season? What happens in those first early years where God's like, this is where, you know, confirms it or keeps you with different defining moments? I think for me it was one of the things that's defined new life, and I think it still defines us, as a movement church is the fact that there's a lot of deep love and and there was a family it's really a, truly a family in fact i became closer to mark and d and john and you know his wife chris and just the the new life family became my family we didn't have family in chicago we had some in the suburbs but we would see them we loved them but really the people that were part of the church family became our family so mm. you know and I, I yeah i mean there's times that we wanted to go elsewhere because of family you know, my my wife's family was in oregon but god kept us here and it's just family i yeah. think it's mm. huge there's deep love you know so even when people come and visit our church now i think they 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 they, they say that i felt loved you know, yeah. so, you know, f for me, it was 
I, I wasn't planning on staying, but when three years were up, I saw that God was working. The church was packed with new believers, literally the life of God. We were seeing people come to Christ and a bunch of people coming to Jesus. Uh, again, it's chaotic. It's messy. There's a bunch of new believers, but we feel the spirit of God moving. And the church grew after three years. I, I remember saying, okay, I'm, I'm done. I said three years. Um, and I talked to the elders and my father, and he said, Mark, God's doing something here. You need to stay. Um, so to me, it was, there's a vision. There's God is doing something. I sense that God is doing something. I'm developing relationships. Mm-hmm. There's family, there's community, but there's a sense of expectation that God is moving here in some, not just a normal way, but in some unusual supernatural yeah. type ways that God is working. And so um, um, we started seeing people come from a lot of different places to join this little band of uh you know, kind of like David's band of outlaws in the middle of uh, mm-hmm. uh, of this yeah. place. And people were moving in from the suburbs to the city, people moving from different places because there was God activity happening there. Yeah. That's, that, that's true. That, that It's interesting because you, you mentioned, well, two things too. One is that, that we started having these prayer meetings. I think it was 1990 when we started having these prayer meetings that would we would start at night 9 p.m go till 3 a.m or whenever it ended and there was god moving and i remember going on a walk with you one time and of course i you know he i remember you we walking down the street and you saying something like yeah god's gonna i just see god's gonna move supernaturally god's gonna do big things here in chicago and i'm like I don't see it, you know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think you, you saw something, God was showing you something ahead of us. And, um, but I think it was really, I think that, that, that powerful things started happening. I think supernatural things started happening when we started gathering for prayer. I think, I remember it was a, it was New Year's day and we had 15 people, 20 people over in our, in our house that didn't have furnishings. <laughs> we had just moved in the apartment. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're sitting on a couch that we pulled out of the the alley store. You may anybody know what the alley store is? <laughs> um, and it had it was just wood. We didn't have time yet to put the cushions, and we were so excited about our find in the alley store. Um, and so we we sat there, and we I remember worshiping, and then God just started moving and like showing up, man, and and bringing conviction of sin and uh, just working in us, shaping us, and it was powerful, man. That started off the prayer the prayer times, you know, yeah, that really shaped us. And, and we look forward to praying. We, My wife and I fought sometimes once we had children to go to the prayer meetings. We didn't fight, but we argued, <laughs> like, about who was going to go to the prayer meetings tonight. So. Why, though? What, what was the draw? You said there's this God activity. I mean, th- I mean, most people are trying to get out of a prayer meeting early. What, what's the what's the draw to like, man? We want to we're fighting, you know, to to get to a prayer meeting. I mean, this was seemed like a special prayer meeting then. One of the sparks was, um, my father Bob Job uh, came in from Spain. His heart was really stirred with revival, mm-hmm. revival, like God is doing something, and he preached a series of messages to that small church on revival. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, he, God was already doing something, but he came and he, 
he he talked about renewal and revival and God moving and working and so he got in the midst of this yeah. again these are these are 20 year olds uh, God, we believe the church can be different. We're a little bit unsatisfied with Christianity as it is, just nominal Christianity. We want to live more radically for you, Jesus. We want to be a people in this generation that lives different than what the culture is. So there's this sense of we mm-hmm. want to embrace a more radical form of Christianity. That leads to community living. We experiment with with what w- the early church moved together. They lived together, did business together. So we had a, a communal house together. John opened up a, a communal house. We're saying, how can we live out a more radical yeah. Christianity in 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 this in this place? And so um, that was part of it. Is hey, we need to fuel the fire. So we started having these prayer meetings in the attic of the uh, building in one of the communal house that I, that I lived in. And, and so there'd be maybe 15, 12, 20 people. We would start at midnight and usually go to, I don't know, the wee hours of the morning and just a real hunger for God. I can't explain it as much as God mm-hmm. stirring it up. And then we just started seeing these supernatural conversions by people that just were really hard coming to Christ in our services, people repenting, giving their lives to Jesus, um, a, a real sweet sense of the presence of God moving there um, in this place. Again, we have no staff, we're poor, we're disorganized, we're in our city, there's drug addicts, there's gangbangers, there's a mix of college students, suburban people coming in. And just seeing uh, that that we just sense God is working. No it's air, messy. No air conditioning in the services. I mean, we're talking like, and we we had services in the morning, Sunday evening, uh, and Sunday evening, Wednesday. Actually, the church became our life. Really, that that church family became our life. We would like if you t- looked at our week, we would go on visitation on Monday nights. We Tuesday nights, I, I think, was marriage couples group. Wednesday night was a prayer meeting at night or a service. And then Thursday, I think it was worship practice or something like that. And so every evening we had something and it was community building, you know, ex- exciting. It was excitement, exciting times. Fueled by the sense of God, you're doing yeah. something. Yeah. You're doing something. But this is a rough neighborhood. So, so you know, God's moving in a rough neighborhood. So talk to me about some of those uh, door-to-door visitations. Those, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you guys, you, you didn't have a, in the beginning, you didn't, there wasn't a ministry that really was like come and see or draw, right? I mean, it became that and grew into that. People started to be drawn to what God was doing in the services and amongst the prayer gatherings. But I mean, you're like, hey, give me names. And you guys went out and would go door-to-door. So yeah. What, what what do you remember about going door to door and, and just, you yeah. know, I mean, you're knocking on doors, reaching people for Christ. Talk to me about that. That was awesome, man. It was, but I learned it from Mark. <laughs> he would actually take rocks and if nobody answered, because sometimes people wouldn't answer the door. So sometimes it'd be second floor. He'd take a rock and throw it at their window up there and go to the back door or whatever, and, you know, just to try to be able to connect with people um, in in the winter cold whatever i mean it was it was it was a thing that we did you know and we saw people come to christ we Many. saw we saw we saw supernatural things happening too like one time you guys went to the that that visitation i think it was we you we have john. a lot of stories <laughs> come on let's hear them let's hear them what, what, what's, what's the story john give us a visitation story the, the that one you about 
the darkness. I will give. I, I'll give you a story, but I'm going to go back to that original question, if I could. Yeah. What What kept what, us here? Yeah. Because I think that's pretty relevant for, for me, at least. Um, I think that it was it was the call of God. To mm, be yeah. honest, with you. I yeah. think it was God's will. Yeah. Because I certainly tried to defy that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tried to leave a couple times. I tried to just leave. I just, you know, had my own brokenness. And I think... John, tell him that story. Go there. I'll get there. Go there. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, buddy. Um, But, um, yeah, you know, I just, you know, I think that for all of us, although God was moving powerfully, uh, he was also, you know, using us, but he was also crafting us. There was Mm, a crucible. Each one of us uh, had, was in some sort of crucible of, of personal sanctification, if I yeah. use some oh, yeah. theology terms, yeah. where he was, he was building something in us. He was redefining things. He was, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 this fantasy of a, a church in the country and all that kind of... He was, he was crafting something within us, and that was painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those were some painful times. There were some real defining moments. God had called us to a people that were very broken, but we were broken in yeah, many yeah, ways. Yeah. And poor Mark had to put up with all of us, but he was in a crucible <laughs> of leadership. He was in a crucible of leadership, of learning how to be a leader. Yeah. And among True. he's a young guy surrounded by a lot of brokenness in his in in the people that are around him, that God circled around him. And so he was in the crucible of leadership development. I was in the I can speak for myself, I was in a crucible of just finding my identity. In Christ, I tried to leave several times. One mm. story uh, is when I I just fell into like I had an off. I I can't measure up. I can't. I I'm just I'm gonna go back. I'm going back to Baltimore. You know. And how long how long have you been at New Life at this point? Two months. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a short amount of it time. It was not very long. It was you know I was. Uh, He's associate pastor associate now. Pastor. Um, so you're in a role of leadership. I'm at in this a role point. of leadership, and I just had had an off. I in, you know it, with my own mess. And just thought, you know, I'm not worthy of this. I can't. I'm Condemnation done. and perfectionism. Yeah. I would have made a great, you know, um, uh, aesthetic, so to speak, in a sense. And I don't know if that's the right word, but just whipping myself, just beating myself, <laughs> earning my salvation, you know. And uh, just, just, so I just uh, tried to leave. So I packed up my little Ford Escort that I still had at that time. And, uh, and I was at, you know, got as far as the church, 44th and Polina, to like 39th and Ashland. When my back went out, like somebody took their hand and grabbed a disc in my back and pulled it and snapped it back, you know, it's like, oh, you know, and I, and I kind of went to the side and went to the side of it like this. Uh, and I just was, I was paralyzed there. I was crippled. And I went up on the sidewalk, um, pulled my car over and, and, um, and a policeman, policeman showed up, pulled right? up. Policeman pu- pulled up behind me and got out and came up to me and I'm leaning down like this. And he goes, you okay? And I said, yeah. I, I just hurt my back, you know, my back. Well, he goes, okay, and he walked, and he went left, which was really good that he did that. And somehow I was able to get back up and said, okay, God, and I will, uh, I'll stay, you know, I'll stay, and I drove back and stayed. That was just one of a couple stories where I tried well, to run. Well, then he tried to run again. I did. This is, this is, tried Come to on, run bro, again. To pull this out of me here. And he's about an hour outside of Chicago, and his car breaks down. Yeah, so I'm. And he I'm, calls me. Now, no, he's never telling me that he's leaving. You know, he's just struggling. And so he calls me up and says, hey, I'm an hour, hour outside. Chicago, yeah. my car broke down. I said, "What are you doing out there?" I was trying to run. Uh, <laughs> can you come pick me up? <laughs> and you didn't. No. no. What happened is I I got as far as like somewhere in Indiana and um, thinking, man, I'm going to make it. And one cylinder on my car, that little Ford Escort, went out. 
And so I turned around and drove it back. I, I couldn't drive. I mean, I, I could only just barely limp back. <laughs> and I put it in. Remember Louie, the mechanic that we all yeah. went to? There's one mechanic in back of the yard that we'd all go to. And he was a non-believer. He was a staunch. He let everybody know, you know. And he looked at my, my engine. He goes, you know, there is a God. Because this, this engine should have been totally wiped out, you know. But, but it's not. He goes, there is a God. His name was Louie. And um, so, so, you know, what got me to stay was really the disciplinary hand of God. Yeah. I tried to run. Yeah. I tried to run many times. And um, in God's hand, you know. Yeah. Yep. Mm. yep. He's good. Yep. He is. Brought me back. You know, even when I was a student at Moody, I tried running. Yeah. You know, um, made it back to Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not kidding you. I made it back to Baltimore there for like a day or two. I'm up in this attic room that this couple let me stay at. And uh, and I'm not kidding you. I was up in that room and something in my spirit jumped like this. Just like this. And, uh, and basically said, Mark Job's nearby, you know. And I looked out the window, and there he is walking down the driveway. <laughs> he came all the way from Chicago down to Baltimore to find me. You yeah. know? And so it was those kind of things. And, I, and those kind of things, we didn't craft. We didn't plan them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just, it was just God working in the midst of our brokenness. Yeah. yeah. And uh, because he had a plan and a design. And it was a design not just to reach Chicago. It was a design to do something in us. Yeah. And I think God took great pleasure in that. Yeah. And that anointing. I call it an anointing. That anointing has been on New Life f- from the beginning days, from her, for, for, from her birth all the way through to where we're at today. I think it's something we got to be careful never to lose, yeah. is the anointing for the broken and the hurting, mm. and, uh, and to navigate people through that, whether they're on our team or they're not, they're part of our church, but to always have a heart for the broken, because I really believe from the, the dream of the muddy city to where we're at today and whatever God wants to do into the future to remember the broken because I really believe that's the heart of Jesus. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. And that's what's kept me here. So to go full circle back to our evangelism into these neighborhoods, we would do evangelism explosion. And one evening, Mark and I and, a, and another lady, I don't know if it was uh, Denise Kehu, I'm not sure who it was. It may have been. We went into this apartment in McKinley Park, and we go up these steps, and we land, and we start talking to this lady. We're sitting around her kitchen table. It's an evening. It's dark. You know, it's winter time. Anyways, we're talking to her, and she starts to relay this dream that she had to us. And she starts talking about how she had this dream, and she goes, "I had this dream, and in this dream, I went, I went into the depths of, I went in, I went in, I met the devil, and I went into the into hell." And as soon as she said, I went into hell, all the lights in the house turned off. <laughs> I mean, we were just like, all of a sudden, I mean, it's just pitch dark in there. And I'm thinking, I'm not scared. I'm just more thinking, I wonder what Mark's going to do now. You know, I was kind of relaxing in his leadership. Let him lead, you know. And, um, and Mark says there, whatever her name was, she goes, he goes, you left us in the depths of hell. You know? and, uh, and then we all got up and started lighting candles. So we're lighting she was candles. freaking out. She was freaking out. She was out, freaking though. out. We, we yeah. weren't freaking out. I was, at, I was totally at peace. But she was freaking out, you know, because as soon as she said it, the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, it was just like, boom. 
And, uh, and those were some of the stories that we have, many, many stories of these supernatural yeah. workings uh, of the Lord as we went out and played offense. Yeah. We played offense. We were evangelistic, yeah. very intentional. And it wasn't unusual at all to lead you know, many people to Christ. We'd lead five people to Christ or six or ten people in a night, yeah. lead them to the Lord. Um, a lot of them weren't sticking, though. They would come to church, but they weren't, wouldn't stick. And that's when we started to reevaluate our discipleship process. And those, that reevaluation was really the seeds of the first step books because we, we wanted to get, uh, write our own books, our own material that, were more, uh, that had a good ecclesiology, that had a good church uh, understanding, and mm-hmm. so that's how we kind of got into that. But a lot of great stories, though. And I and I think I think we're we're seeing a lot of people come to Christ, but there's also a real sense of of we want holiness and purity. God was God was mm-hmm. calling us to purity and holiness. And yeah. so again, you got to remember we're young. We're we're just trying to figure this out. So we uh, you know we we read the book of Ephesians how. The sorcerers gathered all their junk, put it in a big fire, and burned it. Mm. Um, it was it was a, so we have all these new believers that have a lot of junk, a lot of garbage, drugs, this, that, the other. So I'm preaching like, hey, we have to get rid of the old, come to the new, and I have this idea. Let's um, do a let's do a sin bin. And so we get this big barrel and we put it at the front of the church and we say, if there's anything in your life that you have in your house that represents the old self that you want to get rid of this symbolically, we're, we're going to tell you to come and bring it and put it in the sim bin. And when it's all done, we're going to burn it. So I, I don't know where, you know, this is again, we're young. And so people start bringing drug paraphernalia, pornography magazines, um, there's a couple of people that had uh, sort of their saints from from their old lifestyle, feeling like I'm, I, I worship these. I put it in. So this sin bin's getting fuller and fuller as people are putting things in. I this guy show up at my apartment, knock knock knock, comes up to my door and he says, "Hey, Pastor, I, I brought a stack of magazines for you that I want you to put in the sin bin." I said, "Well." Why can't you put them in yourself? Why are you bringing them to me? <laughs> he said, well, I was discipling this guy. Listen to this. This is terrible. I'm discipling this guy, and he confesses to me that he's into, like, child pornography. And so he he says, I, I'm done with that. I'm giving it to you to take to the sin bin. And he said, Pastor, I just brought it to you. So you I said, I, I don't really want that, a stack of child pornography. So he gives me a he, – he, he's given me to put in the sin bin, and he's got a, a stack in a – so – I said, I'll drive it over there. So I put it in the back seat of my car, this bag. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if I'm in a car accident right now, Lord help me. They're going to find this. So I, I, I toss it in the sin bin. I, I cover it over with other stuff. This thing gets packed, packed over. It's like overflowing. And so on a Sunday evening, we decide... We're just going to, like the book of Acts, we're going to burn it. So we had, we went to the, we, we went to the side yard and we got these big grills. We put all this stuff on a grill, doused it with gasoline as we're singing, uh, as we're singing with guitars, gather around praising the Lord that he's purifying the church from all this stuff. Where is this? In the back backyard of the church? The side, this is the, the side, side yard of the church. Of the church. Which is not very big. Which is a very small in the side city. yard. It's like there is no yard. It's like 15 just a little feet strip. wide or so. It's right next to the sidewalk. So you're right like 15 feet between two buildings. In the heart of the city. 
yeah. downtown yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so in chicago we light it and someone put a tv in there i think they were watching too much tv i don't know what all <laughs> yeah. was in there but Black like. billows of smoke start <laughs> arising. The flames start going up. We're singing. I'm starting to get nervous while we were trying to praise the Lord. People are worshiping God. Neighbors are starting to come out because to see the fire that's happening. So they're all coming out to see what what's that big fire. And before <laughs> we're we're I'm like, hey, does it have to be that? Hey, is how long is this going to burn? I'm getting nervous as we're worshiping God. Our congregations out there, and all of a sudden we hear. A fire, a fire truck pulls up there to the side. All the neighbors are out. Hey, they're trying to burn down the neighborhood. And the fire, the fire captain comes up and he says, um, "What's going on here?" I said, "I'm the pastor." I said, "This is a religious ceremony that we're doing here." He said, "Religious ceremony or not, you got to turn that fire out. You can't be having a fire in the middle of the neighborhood." So uh, we doused out the fire with water and. Uh, um, you know, a, a lot of zeal, maybe with a lot of without all the knowledge, but there was this fire of Lord. Lord, we want to live mm-hmm. with purity. We want to do what's right. It was around that time, by the way, as John said, we 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 started to seek God. We started to call upon the Lord, and we felt like God was refreshing our spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of like a sense of renewal in our prayer meetings and in our worship times. People were starting to come from other churches because and other places because they felt like this was a church that was experiencing renewal. One day, though, I felt convicted of the Holy Spirit when I when I read, "You shall have power." That the Holy Spirit had come to give us power. You shall be baptized with power, and you shall be witnesses unto me to Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I was convicted that the power of the Spirit was to disciple and do evangelism. And we were having meetings where people were coming together just to experience God and the presence of God. And I, I realized, you know what? We need to get much more serious about making disciples. And so he sat down with the team and said, you know what, we're, we need to make disciples, not just be empowered mm-hmm. uh, for God to purify us and, and, and fill us and empower us, but we need to make disciples. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I had been working through some discipleship booklets with new believers for a while, taking people through Bible studies, but we decided we're going to get serious about discipling people. And... Um, that year before we had baptized 12 people, the year after we baptized 153 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were serious about it. We would put like, if you start, if you came to Christ, we'd start you on a mentoring program. And on Sunday morning, we would, we would put a slide up there that would show what chapter every new believer was on and how much they had progressed. Do you remember that? Name, this yeah. is on a Sunday morning. The name of the mentor, the person get, getting mentored, and what chapter. So there was a lot of uh, peer sort pressure. of peer pressure. But we, were, we, we, we felt like we need to get serious about making disciples. We haven't focused enough. We've focused on purity, empowerment, sanctification, what God was doing, but not enough on making disciples. And I feel like there was a real shift, like every new believer needs to get grounded. Every new believer needs to make disciples. Every new believer needs to be integrated. We need to ground these people, help these people grow, multiply these people. Mm -hmm. And that really sent us off into this new chapter 
of making disciples and uh, and getting a discipleship culture throughout the whole church. On the heels of that, right around that same time, we also started realizing that if we're going to make disciples, um, people need to be in small groups together. Mm-hmm. They need to be growing. We need to reproduce leaders. And so we did our first small groups, three small groups. Um, I believe that John, you led one, right? Yeah, you, me, and your dad. Yeah, yeah. so we led one. Nisa came in. I, I came in after your dad left. I, I took over that whole yeah. branch. And I believe that Tony Wasso led one as well. We did. We started with three small groups, and the idea was we're going to make disciples, but we're going to raise leaders as well. We need. We started understanding that the church needs to multiply. The church needs to multiply. It needs to spread. It needs to multiply that way. By that time, the church was growing. There were several hundred people that were coming. Um, we were starting to get... We were starting to go beyond just a group of 20-something-year-olds that were just figuring out how to live life. Mm-hmm. And we start. We were starting to gain a vision for the city and, mm-hmm. and what it would mean to multiply. 1995, fast forward, the church has grown. We're discipling people. We have small groups now. And... Um, well, well, well before, you, before you jump all the way ahead there, let me ask this. What do you guys remember from, you know, some of the first people that you discipled? You still remember some of their names? You still remember taking them through? And any that stand out that you're like, I really remember this was a cool story about this person that that we got serious about. I got a story for you. Yeah. So I was uh, discipling this guy. His name was Gino. And um, so here's how this, this worked out. Bob Job was with us at that time. Yeah. He he was um, early nineties, but he had actually um, gone back to Spain at, and and started doing ministry. But he made such an impact on all of us. We had mm-hmm. this older, seasoned kind of uh, look back now, and it's like think about it. We're like close close to his age. Yeah, you know, think about that. And it was but about loving people, loving people, yeah, loving yeah. people, radically loving people. So the day that he passed away, I get a phone call. Uh, early in the morning from Mark uh, saying, hey, John, um, we were meeting at Curry High School at that yeah. time. Uh, my, my dad's passed away. Let the church know that we've lost this this great warrior. Yeah. He said something like that. And um, and that was, I got that phone call after this event with Gino. That morning, my doorbell rings and it's Gino. I go downstairs, answer the door. Gino says, Hey, Pastor John, I just robbed a bank. I'm just robbed a gas station. And I'm like, well, why are you coming here, man? You know, it's like, you know, why are you coming to my house? You know, I want to bring it for offering. And, right. Yeah. And he goes, I just, so I said, you know, I, so I, this is before I knew Bob passed away. I said, well, what would Bob Job do in this situation? Mm-hmm. So I sat with him and, and, and just loved him through this situation. And he goes, I robbed the bank, but I went, I mean, the gas station, but I went back. And I gave the money back to them after all he the police convicted. had left. Yeah. He had gotten away, got convicted of sin, <laughs> brought the brought the money back. So, I, but the so, I'm, but I'm asking myself, you know, what would Bob jo- Job do? I want to be like Bob Job, you know. I want to be like Bob, you know. Mm. I want to be this guy that just loves him. So I just loved him through it and navigated him through it. And then I got the phone call from Mark, just yeah. like an hour later or so, mm. and it was the day that Bob Job so cemented in my mind. Wow, this is this is how I I want to be. You know, I want to be a person that really loves people. Mm. Um, 
I think Asa took that into a whole nother level because you're you're really known for stepping in and loving people and caring deeply and building strong relationships. Yeah. But wouldn't you say that Bob had a huge influence on you in that regard? Oh yeah, yeah. Bob, Bob, he he lived it out, yeah. and living in community with him kind of actually created in me. Uh, like I saw his how God used him. Yeah. But I also saw his humanness. Yeah. yeah. And so it, was, it, it just brought a lot of. Uh, incredible thing. One impacting one was when when Mark and D were actually opening up their home or their apartment. They opened up their apartment to this one guy who was coming out of addictions, heroin addictions, heroin addictions. And the guy came and his sister struggled with addictions too, right? Mm-hmm. This guy's sister. And so Bob just told us about it because Bob was super involved in that. And he he start. We were sitting in the living room of their apartment. And and Bob just started telling him, and and then he just started weeping, and he just said, "That could be that's somebody's daughter. That could be my daughter, mm-hmm. you yeah. know." And just it just it just brought perspective. I mean, he he, God used him, and I was like you said, the crucible. You used crucible. I was in a big crucible in that community place. Yeah. Uh, God using Bob. He used Bob. I I. I my my dad was actually like really big on vehicles and taking care of vehicles, so I actually uh, bought a pickup truck. So I had two vehicles at the time. I didn't like even my wife driving my pickup truck. A little red, <laughs> a little yeah, red, a little pickup, red truck. pickup truck. <laughs> so in the community context of community, it was there that God. I remember sitting around a, a community table and Tom Lyons. You know he owns a business for like uh, mowing, lawns. mowing lawns. And so he had two blue pickups just like mine. And Bob was helping him at that time. And he always liked his hand to get his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. So he, there was a godly peer pressure there, you know, in the midst of community, he brought up to say, you know, Asa, uh, Tom's pickup truck, one of his pickup trucks broke down. Would you be willing to, to, you know, let, let him use your pickup truck? And I'm like, inside i'm like no way man. <laughs> but then in the in the god peer the peer pressure and of course mark is really good at like just like digging into those areas <laughs> humorly and, and so it was in that kind of i felt this godly peer pressure to say yeah but the lesson i learned was when bob gave me that truck back he he had i got it in better condition than when i let him use yeah, it yeah. he painted the rims he he did some crazy stuff on it which it's just it just showed me, and then after that, I just said, you know, God, this is your pickup truck. Yeah. yeah. Which I think the big the big message here is there's a two there's two stories there's just two parallel stories going on. It's just like what we're doing for for ministry, but I guess they're not separate. They're yeah. kind of together. It's mm-hmm. like, but but we're also being, you know, changed into the image of Christ as we go along. It's yeah. just yeah. It's this you know, working for the Lord, but God's working on us during the, and I, and that's still true to this day. Yes. Yeah. To this day, it's over still and true. Over. And you know, yeah, I, I, mean, I think of the brokenness, John, of so many people that we were mentoring. I remember having two young guys in my apartment and I'm talking to them. They're not yet believers, but I'm witnessing to them having over lunch. And then they, they say to me that they just were participating in a drive by shooting that week. One of them went to jail for a long time. Mm. Another guy, I'm, I'm, um, I'm. Uh, this, this is the kind of stuff we're dealing with. I remember a guy by the name of George Santiago. He just, I just did his funeral not too long ago. He comes to Christ. He had been in, in uh, prison. He, he had a, he had a tough background. And he's telling me, 
so I meet with him and another guy named Tony Klimczak. I'm mentoring both of them. They're both very street, you know, come on out. And I said, so how was your week? He said, I have a praise report, Pastor. <laughs> I said, great. He said, I said, what happened? He said, well, I'm at my job, he said, this guy was getting on my case. He said, I threw him up, up, up against the wall and I put my arm in his neck and he said, I raised my hand and I said, if I wasn't a Christian right now, I would pound you. He says, you know, so I'm really glad that God's working in my life. I'm like, uh, yeah, that's, uh, George, we're making a lot of progress there. Another guy, I remember on the way to Bible study, he the same thing. I got a praise request. What's your praise request? He said, you know, I was driving, I was driving this past week and, uh, uh, some guy stopped in front of me, so I honked at him, and I started to pass him. And as I was passing him, he was giving me the finger. So I stopped my car. I popped my trunk. I pulled out a crowbar. I broke his window, hit him in the head, pulled him out of the car. And then he said, I'm a Christian now, so I'm going to let you go. And uh, so I have a praise. I'm like, That's good, brother. That's uh, He said, before, he said, I would have beat him. I would have beat him probably to death. And so I'm saying, okay, bro, you're doing good. So these are real unchurched, tough yeah, yeah. crowd, people coming out of gangs. Uh, a lot Addictions. of people come out of a very, very tough background, and we're bringing them to church. And um, Any problems with the gangs? In the, you know, I know they sometimes are on the street corners, or sometimes you guys kind of look like rough characters yourself, wearing kind of leather jackets and stuff. Any any mullets. interesting, yeah, mullets, long hair, leather jackets. You got the gang bangers on the street corner. You know, they hide their gun. Well, yeah. there was, we had we had Sunday school. Uh, our kids would cross the street to go to Sunday school at 44th and Polina. And I heard that one of the kids from the neighborhood approached one of our kids walking to Sunday school, pulled out a gun and started threatening them. And I was just livid because I knew where the gangbangers, the leaders lived. And so I went and knocked on the door of the main leader. And I was like, I can't believe that your guys are, man, I thought we had an understanding. You leave our corner alone. And I don't tell the police where you hide the guns and stuff. I can't believe. And I was like mad. He wasn't there, but I told whoever was there. So he came to the office super apologetic, like, hey, Pastor, there's one of our young rookies. It'll never happen again. Tell your people our gangs will leave. So we respected them, witnessed to them. Um, but there was, I mean, even to this day, we're involved in some heavy-duty ministry to gang-affiliated uh, mm -hmm. people. We've done that for years we have some of our great leaders right now mm -hmm. that were converted out of uh, gang backgrounds yeah. and very violent backgrounds. And now you'd never know it. They love Jesus. They, you mm -hmm. would say, hey, they're respectable people, but they come out of some really violent backgrounds. Yeah, I, went, I went the opposite road when I was in the parking lot. I knew I wasn't going to scare anyone away. So I'm in the parking <laughs> lot at night with one other guy. This is before cell phones. I'm like, if anyone tries to steal something, what am I going to do? You can't call anyone. We didn't have phones. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I know the Bible says you should lay your life down for your brother, but I'm not laying my life down for my brother's car. So if they, <laughs> if they take a car. So I told the guy overseeing the parking lot, I said, I'm a scarecrow, man. If anyone takes a car, they can have it. Um, but I, I, and I didn't know anything about gang culture, but I figured, you know, kind of and watch them too. They'd walk around the park. I knew every man wants respect. So I remember I said, I'm, I'm going to try something. So I got a couple of guys walking. I said, hey, come here, come here. I talk to you. And they're looking at me all hard. I said, no, come here, come here. I got to tell you something. I said, listen, 
thanks for letting us use your park. <laughs> and I said, hey, if any of the church people cause you trouble, let me know. We're not going to let the church people cause you trouble. And they looked at me like I was weird. But that's what I tried to do. Just try to be the good guy. Likes the negotiator. Um, yeah, I'm not, at least let them know we respect you. Everyone wants respect. Um, but let me just say, backing up to you, yeah, Bob and Minnie Joe have been packed in my life. Uh, didn't get to know them for real long, but it was amazing to have someone in their 50s. Again, mm. I'd never been around mm. people like this in their 50s that had given up everything to serve the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And just it was bizarre. Again, I came to Christ in college. So I was around college students, went to Moody. A lot of great young adult energy for the Lord, but there's something different there. So that, that really hit me. Um, and then as far as, uh, you know, why, why you stay, I mean, it's a call of God. But I think also, too, we all need purpose and community. Mm. Hmm. And that was something I really wanted was community. Uh, again, at Moody, a lot of guys wanted to be pastors when they, the saying was, I want to have a pulpit, I want to have a pulpit. And I really didn't feel that. I said, I want to have a community. Hmm. I want to be a part of a family, hmm. and I want to last. So many people don't survive in the Christian life. Yeah, Leaders sure. and Christians in all different uh, settings. I said, I want to survive. You need a family. Uh, yeah. So having a community. Uh, and it was a rich community here, and, and eventually groups really helped with that. Yeah. But a purpose, having responsibility. Simple things, I remember little things. I remember one time uh, at the end of a message, and this wasn't you know super planned. You said, hey, can you come up here and pray for someone? I never prayed for anyone after service because mm. I had a very American attitude. I go to church, enjoy it, chit-chat with my friends, go home. I had no sense of yeah. go pray for someone. Yeah. I'm just people. Now I do that, but you know, I, I didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. I say Tony Wassa was one that really helped mm -hmm. uh, teach people how to pray for people. I'd never done it. It's like mm -hmm. a bizarre thing. Yeah. Um, when we started uh, groups, I wound up in a group. Joe Estrada was the leader. Mm -hmm. the, the first wave I actually missed, I was w working second shift. So I missed the first wave of groups that John, uh, Bob Joe, and Mark Joe bled. But then Joe Estrada was leading. So I, I went in, it was his assistant great experience mm. then i launched out in a group and um so debbie and i were dating at the time so we led a group i don't think that's legal anymore at new life but we actually led a group <laughs> while we were dating together and anybody could go it was mainly married couples so the one couple they start to open up about their problems he, he tells me how bad his wife is mm. and then i start i asked her and she told me how bad he was the first time i had been around that I never took responsibility for anybody's marriage. So I remember I called up Pastor Mark and said, hey, you got a problem. This couple, <laughs> this couple is like, really, uh, they're fighting a lot. And he walked me through. He put it back on me, which is great. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not even married. He said, but you're the group leader. Yeah. yeah. You deal with it. Yeah. And it was really hard for me to work through it. We worked through it. They stayed together. Eventually, they got divorced. I wish I could tell you they stayed together forever. Yeah. But for me, it was a breakthrough to realize that's my problem. Yeah. That, that was really different. But it made me feel alive. Like it wasn't like I'm going to a group just to sit through. When's this going to be over? This is my group. Yeah. I got to get them here. Uh, one of the first guys I mentored when we started doing the mentoring with the first steps uh, wouldn't show up on time. It was my problem. I would pick him up to bring him to church. He'd always be running late. It was so annoying. But I had to push him. Mm. And sometimes I just left him. I don't want to be late for church. You're not ready. Yeah. Uh, and it was some weird passive aggressive thing he had going on. Another guy started mentoring, started talking to me how he had been sexually abused. He trusted mm. me, started to open this up. I'd never talked to anyone about mm. those issues before. I, I mm. thank God I never experienced it. I'd never been around people with that, but started to realize there's a need for deep healing, not yeah. just learning some Bible verses here. Yeah. So it was a, a real revolution in my life, having responsibility and doing what I couldn't and bringing in other people to help figure out how people can walk with the Lord through this. Yeah, yeah we were kind of plunged into things that uh, we never would have expected or anticipated. I mean, um, 
like the whole spiritual warfare side. I remember Asa and I in a hospital visit. Yeah. We were young. We were probably in our 20s. Yeah. And we went to go pray for this lady that just in the hospital that just couldn't get well. And, and she they, was a family member of somebody. She was connected somehow or another, but we ended up together in this hospital room with this lady who we were informed had uh, just seen a, a, a curandera. Yeah, uh, which, which, which doctor had been in there cracking eggs on her stomach and all this stuff, you know, and and so then we were like the last resort, you know, let's get the pastors in there. So these young pastors come in, and um, did the lights flicker again? No, the lights didn't <laughs> flicker, but it was a little bit more drama than that. So we're just praying, and, and again, we're not we're praying so for the woman, right? We're praying for the for the woman that's in the bed that who they requested prayer for her. So we just started praying for her. Her husband was behind us. And as we're praying for her uh, to be healed, all of a sudden her husband starts going, <coughs> and his neck gets wide like this. And we, so we just turned around and, and we were like, start praying for him. And actually what was happening was there was a demon coming out of this guy mm. that was responding and reacting mm. to us mm. praying for the woman. So the, the presence of God just falls into this hospital room. Um, and the husband who was, who had a, who had demonic issues starts manifesting. We spin him and that demon comes out. Um, Asa, you want to ex- explain some of your detail on that? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, I remember why well, I, I do remember smelling like sulfur, like smell or something. Yeah. And I told John about it and he says, I didn't smell that. Yeah. So he, he <laughs> smells the sulfur, you know, and I, like, I didn't smell it, but I certainly believe you because I've heard of that before, but stuff that we wouldn't. You know, we yeah. weren't into that. We yeah. just, oh, you know, yeah. we weren't. They train like, you at Moody for that? Or <laughs> yeah. is there a class <laughs> on that? Uh... <laughs> but it wasn't anything we were looking for. We actually kind of stumbled on it. It, it was just kind of a weird, a weird manifestation. Or we were something. in service. I remember the, yeah. in, in the early days, and there was a woman that came forward, and she said, I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm being kind of tormented. Could you pray for me? So I put my hand on her shoulder, and she looks at me, and she says, she says, the Bible says, thou shalt not lay hands on anybody too soon. I'm like, whoa, that's a real verse out of context. And I could tell she was acting a little strange. And, and she said she was being tormented. So we took her downstairs to, it was actually the nursery. People had <laughs> took left. Her to the nursery. took her in the nursery. And we started praying for it. The nursery was our multi-purpose room. <laughs> as soon as we started praying for it, there's a carpeted nursery with toys on the ground. She falls to the ground. She falls to the ground and starts um, sort of slivering like a serpent and hissing like a serpent as she slivers on the ground. And we're all like uh, trying to pray for her. And then she uh, looks up in this voice and says, you haven't fasted and prayed. You have no power over me. Um, mm-hmm. And we're like, uh, at first I thought, yeah, we haven't fasted and prayed. And I'm like, why am I listening to a woman with a serpent <laughs> voice to tell me? And said, we don't, we, uh, t- uh, we addressed this in the name of Jesus. And we were there probably for 20 minutes. And then she just convulsed and shrieked a little bit and then was like dead. No, you forgot the part that she looked at you and says, you cast me out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I said, in the name of Jesus, and she looked at me and says, no, you cast me out. And I realized, hey, <laughs> the, 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 the enemy wants to coach us away from the power of Jesus. Yeah. And, and I, I remember saying, I have no power of my own. I've not prayed and fasted, but I come to you in the authority of Jesus the Christ who raised from the dead. It's all him. It's all his power and authority. And that's when she convulsed and, and lay dead. And then, But we were having these kind of experiences. Yeah. Um, over so, and over again. I mean, and yeah. and so to the extent where we were, 
we were like, wow, you know, people are coming to know Christ, but but we need to we need something else here. Yeah. You know, yeah. we 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 uh, we like the the Rick Warren baseball path, but we we weren't modeling after that. But there was something between first and second base that was missing. And people were still carrying a lot of baggage. They came into Christ, but still needed transformation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's when we that's when we tried dialed in our the encounter retreats, retreat. so that we could um, help people just encounter Christ and experience a healing, get get more kind of handholds on life, so to speak. Yeah. And where so, where did that come from? What what were these encounter retreats? And where where did you guys come up we, with that? Or I think we had heard of uh, of the encounter retreats in Colombia, wasn't it? Colombia. We had or? heard that there were some churches in South America yeah. that would take new believers on a retreat and 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 sort of induct them, try to help them release the past, their identity in Christ. And so the idea came from South America, but we tor- sort of took our own version. Now we've been doing them for years and years, and and we go to hotels. The first one we did. We did at Lakeview, yep. which we just got this building in Lakeview, and people slept in sleeping bags on the ground. It was, men, it was a men's one, men's though. Retreat. It was oh, a men's retreat. It was a men's retreat. Trying to save a little money, sleep on the floor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was so powerful. God moved and showed up. We stayed overnight, prayed over people, talked about this. It was such a powerful thing that we started doing this every year. And we have literally seen thousands of people go through these encounter retreats. And now we do a men's and women. Our last women's one we had, we had 800 women at, uh, I think 500 men at the men's encounter treats. And so that's become part of our uh, new life DNA. It started mm-hmm. at 2001. least uh, 2001. Sure. Is that when it started? I'm so really yeah, so, yeah. so it started uh, 20, 20 years ago. As we were going down this road, God is forming us. The church is growing. We're one church meeting at one location. We, we've got the discipleship down. We have the small groups down. We're raising mm-hmm. leaders. People are coming to Christ. The church is about seven, 800 people by, by this time. What year is this roughly at this point? I mean, that's, and that's we're going pretty, into from 12 people to a few hundred. To well, this is about a decade into it. We're, 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 um, IIT, no? we're meeting at IIT. Is it, is it still one location? It's still or? one location. About 700 people um, or so. Uh, 700, 800 people. You're focused on discipleship. You have the first steps books. That yeah. are these discipleship pathway to help you know, people grow in Christ yeah. and understand baptism and faith. Yeah, and it's not we, just curriculum. It's actually assigning people mentors, which again, kind of the, the priesthood of all believers is a phrase that's often used. I think that that is so unusual. Yeah. Big emphasis on one-on-one. So it wasn't yeah. just a pastor's class going through first. No, it was, it's no. mentoring. Right. Have, uh, people become disciple makers. Mm-hmm. So we've been through a phase of the organizing the church with a bunch of 20 some year olds, um, uh, radical prayer, uh, strong evangelism. Now we're discipling people. Our small group system is up on going. Um, uh, revival, uh, a sense of God is moving. So we're all meeting together. We're, we're in our you know late 20s now. Um, and um, we're inspired by Bill Bright, mm-hmm. who challenges people to fast for 40 days. And we get captured by this idea. We, we've been doing intermittent fasting here and there, not, not intermittent fasting as uh, the dietary thing, but we've been doing fasting here and there. But we feel very compelled in 1995 to call for a 40-day season of fasting and prayer. 
And we ask as many people in the congregation to join us as possible. Uh, so there's about 35 to 40 people that are sign up to do a 40-day fast, just water and juices. And then the rest of the congregation joins in in one day, one way or another. All the pastoral leadership team joins in. It's a brutal fast. Mm. It, 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 you know, it's 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 just water and juices um, for forty days. For forty, 40 days. days. Yeah. How much weight did you guys lose? A lot. Collectively, we probably a lot. We, we looked like we came I, back. I lost from probably a, forty pounds. I, I, I started about one eighty, went to one forty. I mean, I I see pictures from that day, and I literally feel like wow, a skeleton. This is a skeleton guy. Yeah, yeah. I so lost forty pounds. It's yeah. tough. It's hard. We're praying, Baggy but we pants. we're praying for the city. We say, God, we feel like you're asking us to pray for our city, a breakthrough in our city. We're serious. You're the one that has to do us. We can't do it without you. And this wasn't just the leadership. This was the entire church. The entire church is we, challenged we to fast. To it, and yeah. so some people are skipping a meal. Some people are, you know, different. But but there's about 35 to 40 that are actually doing a water juice fast for 40 days. Wow. Um, and... Um, so, except for one pastor, we found out he he was the only guy that wasn't struggling. We found out his juice was blending everything. I think he even cornflakes and, and drinking it all. And we're like, we're all we're you know, all when you're fasting, man. you don't want people to cheat. You're struggling, and this we felt like, man, you're cheating, bro. You telling us? And then we found um, out. We found out at a pastor's a uh, retreat. retreat. We're going to a pastor's retreat. Yeah. <laughs> so we forgave him though. Yeah, um, <laughs> but the final day of the fast brutal tough god's doing some stuff i wanted to spend the final day of the fast uh alone so i hadn't gotten that much out of the fast it was hard it was difficult my body's struggling i'm tired and so i go to a hotel alone for the last 24 hours with my bible i'm praying at this hotel i'm telling god god i'm I'm doing this because out of obedience i don't feel like i've gotten that much out of it i need direction lord we're praying for our city and i feel like uh the lord leads me to to pray this prayer and i say and god i'm praying for the city and god give us one percent of the city of chicago and i prayed that prayer and i'm like wow where'd that come from never thought about that before and as i'm praying i i'm visualizing a map of chicago and i see these lights all over the city of Chicago, these bright lights, and I'm praying for 1% of the city. I'm writing it all down, writing it all down. And afterwards, I tell my wife, Dee, about it. And I talk to the elders and pastoral team. And I says, you know, I, I feel like God led me to pray for 1% of Chicago. And that's about, I did the math. That's 30,000 people. I feel like it's of God, but I want to submit it to you. Mm-hmm. So we talked about it. And wrote a paragraph that described what a city of one, what what a church of one percent would look like. It'd be strong in prayer. It'd be aggressive in evangelism. It'd be multi-location. It would reach homeless and CEOs. It would be multilingual. It would be a bridge builder. And we we wrote that out, and then we said we're going to start to pray for that. Start to believe God for that. Now we're one church in one location. And um, we've been together for about nine years. Um, this was new. Suddenly we're thinking multi-location. This is before multi-site was even, uh, this was not term. a term. Yeah, a term. The multi-site had not even become a term in our nation yet. And so we say, let's do it. 
So we start moving towards let's plant in different neighborhoods around Chicago. And so our very, uh, so we're meeting at IIT, believing God for this. Our very first plant is our Spanish service in in Little Village. That's our first plant, Spanish service in Little Village. And um, again, how how does one church in two locations work? We're trying to figure out. Then we plant another one in uh, South, um, in Oak Lawn area. And that's new for us. And, And so these pastors are coming together. We're still meeting together. Um, then we plant another one in Cicero with Tony Wasso. And, um, so now we have four locations. It's the first time it's ever happened. We're trying to figure out what God is saying and how to do this. We just hive off groups of people with some equipment, bless the person and say, Hey, go get them tiger. Mm. And, um, so that became the genesis of what we now call our multi-site church, which now we meet in 27 different locations, have 43 worship services. But it was the beginning of it, birthed out of a season of fasting and prayer, mm-hmm. kind of figuring out how all that works together, what what God is going to do. As we're doing this, another God-given strategic initiative arises as we're planting, and that is Restarts. In the year 2000, after we've planted a few locations, we get a call from the north side of Chicago, an older gentleman by the name of Chuck McWhorter. And he says, he, he says to me, Mark, you never heard of me. I've never met you in person, but I've heard of what you guys are doing. We have a church here on the north side of Chicago. We've been around for over 100 years, but we're dying. And we need church like you to come and help us and uh, so I'm asking if you'll come and help so I met with Chuck and I said I'm not sure what you want us to do Chuck we're all the way on the south side of Chicago this is way up north Um, and he says well we we haven't had a pastor can you help us and so we we get our leaders we start talking we think is this part of what God is doing part of the vision Mm -hmm. and so I said, Chuck, I don't think we'd do good with, you know, there was 25 older people. I said, you know, they're organ music. It's older people. It's a Baptist church that at one time was a thriving Baptist church. I don't know if we know how to do that. He said, let me deal with the older people. You reach the neighborhood. And so that became our first, what we call restart. It was Galilee Baptist Church. I would go, I would come down and preach over here, and then I'd go up there preach. We, uh, they loaned our worship team from our Midway location to go up and do the worship team. And when all was said and done, we mixed a group of people that we were reaching. They were uh, Mohawks, uh, piercings, mixed in with a bunch of older Baptist people, and we're reaching the community. And God did some amazing things in that place and we thought it was a one and done and thought, wow, God, you did amazing things. You rebirthed something. And then we started getting phone calls from other churches. Say, so we heard what you've done here. We have another church. And that's led to a whole ministry that we call Restarts, taking historic churches that are dying and bringing, uh, restarting them with new vision, new, uh, new people, uh, new breath, 
and uh, redeeming old buildings and repurposing them for new ministry. John's been a part of that. Ace has been a part of that. Mike's been out there reaching. So all of us have been in, and we've done about 16 of them right now. And that's become part of the God strategy, really. Mm -hmm. Not something that we invented or that we pursued, but something that God dropped in our laps as we were praying for the 1% vision. Yeah. 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 And it's it's messy, right? You're figuring it out. I mean, yeah. the strategy is prayer and fasting. That's the strategy. Hey, mm-hmm. we don't know. We see an opportunity. We're going to step into it, but we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to seek the Lord and and you know He's going to make a way and He's going to work it out. And you know, I think that's been one of the things that has you know defined been one of the defining kind of traits that I see of the New Life team and New Life culture is this just faith to take risks. Yeah. Right. This faith to say, God, we don't know. We've never done this before, but we're willing to step in. I mean, well, there, there wasn't some master plan on your end Mm-mm. from the beginning. It doesn't mean there wasn't thought and thinking through and plans, but there wasn't, hey, this is how we're going to, you know, do it all. It was, hey, God's kind of prompting you right yeah. along the way, kind of pushing you, um, you know, a word here, a, a, a connection over here. And it really is spurs on this activity of mobilizing and moving new life. Um, I think a lot of that came from Mark's disposition. You know, he would uh, lead by in terms of not failing. So we wouldn't think, you know, we didn't think in terms of failure. Like we would think that failure would be not trying. Yeah. As opposed to, well, if we do that, what if we fail? We didn't think in those that mm-hmm. way. We thought like, okay, if we don't do this, this, this is failing. You know, we're not trying it. You know, it was it was t- to use a term that's kind of got some baggage to it, but it was very entrepreneurial. It was like, let's get out there and take the risk. Let's yeah. let's go ahead and do that. And if we do, if it doesn't work out, it's not like we failed. It's just okay. Well, let's figure out a different way to do it. Yeah, that's a huge piece of uh, New Life's DNA that's been in our history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, as I look back, I think prayer and fasting has permeated a sense of God's presence. Lord, you're in this. Yes. A, a strong zeal for evangelism, like very mm-hmm. clear that the purpose of the church is not just to gather believers, but that we are to make disciples of all nations. Yeah. How do we do that? So as, as, as long as I can remember, and part of this is probably birthed a lot because of gifting. Uh, John and I as Moody students would go out to Rush Street and evangelize. Both of us have, mm-hmm. have always had a real, real heart for evangelism. And so I think as we started, New Life's always attracted or built in uh, people that had a heart to reach out. Mm-hmm. And, and and that continues now that we're seeing every year hundreds of people come to Christ, hundreds of people baptized. Uh, but that's always been part of what we've had. How can we reach? Um, we've also believed that, uh, that everybody is called to make disciples and that there's leaders and that God... Uh, takes broken people and mends them and does extraordinary things through broken people. The church has been multicultural and diverse from day one Mm -hmm. um, as well. So we haven't been afraid to go into those tough neighborhoods that God has called us in the city. Um, We didn't start with a lot of resources, so I feel like we're frugal. We know how to do Mm -hmm. a lot with a little. Um, I, I feel like God has coached us, taking us, honed us, broken us, caused us to repent at times, uh, taken that which was small, that was, was little as we offered him to him. And so we, we, 
we've been forced to point to Jesus and say, you know, we didn't plan it. We didn't Mm -hmm. work it. This is all God working through just uh, people that didn't have a lot to show, but just had a lot of God to depend on. Mm. And so it's been an incredible story. And that story continues with even greater emphasis and waves now. I'm more excited now than I ever have been about the church and the future, the opportunities, the Mm -hmm. doors, the people that God is bringing. Um, And um, it's exciting to see how God uh, shapes us from the early days. And um, we never want to forget the lessons, though, that have shaped us. The moment we stop depending on prayer, the moment that we think we're strong enough, wise Mm -hmm. enough, the moment that we stop thinking that we need to evangelize, the moment that we think we have it all together is the moment that I think God is going to bring us to our knees once again. So we, we, we build rocks of remembrance. In the old days, they would put rocks to remember. Nowadays, we make videos to remember. The, this is our modern day. This is our modern day rock building saying, mm-hmm. God has done this. Let's never forget how God has shaped us, molded us, broken us. Let's never forget our dependence on prayer, our, our uh, unabashed uh, love, uh, the muddy cities that we open up our doors to people that other churches despise. Let's yeah. never forget that, that this is all about God and his work and not about us. And we've tried to not make this around a personality. We've tried yeah. to make this around Jesus. Yeah. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of this story that we call new life unfolding yeah. and literally yeah. now touching hundreds of thousands of people through radio, through missions, through uh, New Life Centers. It's been an incredible thing to see God work. May I make a note also on on worship? Lavish worship was really from the days of 44th of Hawaii. I mean, it wasn't a buttoned-up, you know, uh, drama kind of. It was just a simple spirit-filled worship i mean mark had an ovation and a little fender <laughs> amp you know and, and and mark would admit you're, you're not even the most skilled oh, guitar no. player no. <clears throat> but his wife had a great voice and terrible um, singer decent guitar player <laughs> that's right and 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 yet we were bringing worship for the first time mm-hmm. in into this into this into the many people's lives that were broken and they were able to just abandon worship, man. I mean, it's just like lavish mm-hmm. worship. And that's continued all the way through. And I think yeah. for a lot of people, that's a new experience. Yeah. Wouldn't you say, Ace? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I think if you visit our locations, you'll see that, yeah. you know. And it's, people, it's, people crying. I see people crying all the time and on a Sunday. I cry. I yeah. still cry. <laughs> you know what else strikes me too, John, is, is the the next generation of believers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i can point to so many people that they were 19 20 yes. years old when they came to christ and um they were a mess and they've gotten married and are having kids and their kids now mm-hmm. are following jesus and getting married and having kids the beauty of longevity of ministry i think of a couple yeah. like nick and lisette Bastarella, who was this you know young kid, kid that was a troublemaker and she was pregnant and a Muslim when we met met her and came to Christ and married and now their kids are married. They're super involved in the church here, leading people. I think of Roger Cadena when I met him, man, he mm. had just got out of prison and was a drug dealer. Now he's a respected business guy leading fusion groups. I think of um, 
Mike Rodriguez, who was 17, mm-hmm. uh, when him and Juliet started coming around. Now their kids are married and following. I can point to so many people as I look around the congregation of people that were uh, broken, didn't know Jesus, have come to Christ, have, have are, are loving God, are leaders now. You'd have looked at them in the early days and say, man, these guys, yeah, they're, they're a mess. But, but it's, it's, I love being a part of a church where people um, that others would have discarded. Mm-hmm. I think of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You look at them and you think, eh, this wouldn't be the dream team. But yet Jesus chose them because they were hungry mm-hmm. and turned the world upside down. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the DNA of this, of our story is people that maybe others would have given up on and say they can't do anything and just watch what Jesus can do right. when they're concentrated. <clears throat> that's a huge point. And I think at this season in our lives now that we're all a bit older, you know, um, that we're very intentionally, uh, handing it off to the next generation. Yeah. I mean, it's just been a strange journey for me really, uh, yeah to it's i've had to have a mindset shift you know great job intentionally you know handing off the reins to the next gen yeah and uh and then kind of looking at least this is for me kind of looking at myself a little differently like wow you know kind of just accepting the fact that you know we're really pouring into the i mean the next generation we've always done that but this is the real deal in the sense of there's a shift an intentional shift from my perspective at new life where the next generation's taking the reins we just happened to be here we didn't have four or five other older guys that were in leadership we had one guy who came for a period of time his name was bob joe yeah and that was a real blessing yeah but now there's this intentional shift going on which is which is a little bit exciting and strange and you know at the same time and uh and just to be able to be a part of that and to be able to speak into the next generation and to be intentional about that i mean i'm talking guys that are actually pastors yeah yeah and um so, in a defining but, moment, John, if I remember uh, early on, we were in our early 20s. We were at one of one of the pastors. His dad was in Michigan and we were out on a boat. Yeah. And right. um, I remember the, the, the leadership team. Most of them weren't pastors. They were just leaders, though. And I had struggled because I I didn't want to stay in Chicago. I wanted to go. But I had wrestled through that and felt like, OK, God, if this is where you want me to be, I think out of this here place, we can reach the world. Yeah. And I remember talking to the six or seven uh, leaders that were in that boat. Were you in the boat, bro? I was. I was in the boat, too. Yeah, you were in the boat. I was Mike, fished. I think, Before were you Before I was an elder. I was at the church, but I think there yeah. was an elders gathering. I was not an elder. Okay. Yeah. I heard and about And so, <laughs> so I went around and I said, you know, guys, I, I really I really had to wrestle with staying in Chicago and and. But I, but I felt like this is home base. This is kind of our Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And I'm making a long-term commitment to this. I'm making a long-term commitment. And I don't want to force you to, but I would love to do this with you. I would love for you to say, let's do this together. And, and I said, I'd love for 30 years from now to be high-fiving all that God has done uh, uh, and saying, hey, look what God has done, man. We've done this together. We've done this as a team. We've gone down this journey. And, um, um, you know, Asa wanted to go, John wasn't from Chicago. And so he, you know, it was, Mm. so a lot of the team wasn't, but, but one by one, people started making commitments and saying, Mm. you know what, Mm -hmm. we're in this for the long haul. 
And you know what? Uh, there's something about a team that chooses together. Yeah. So a commitment to each other, a commitment to the vision, and more than anything, commitment to God. Yeah. And I, I think that was a beautiful thing. And now to see the next generation, uh, people that were born in this culture, like Josiah, who's 28 uh, yeah. right now, who, you know, when we started, wasn't even around uh, until a few years into it, wasn't around, but has been birthed into this. And and to see the a, a new generation of leaders carrying on the DNA um, and, and the next chapter in the story. And I believe this generation is going to take it way beyond what we could have ever imagined or fathomed. But it's, it's, it's sort of the God story being told yeah. and uh, passing the baton and, and saying, okay, never forget the early lessons. The music's going to change. The technology's going to change. The methods are going to change. But, but the DNA hopefully is strongly embedded in the yeah. hearts and minds of, of yeah. even the new generation that God is leading. I think encouragement would be to people that are listening to maybe this conversation, right, in the future that are coming from other places too. Yeah. And how do you, you got to trust God that he's got your story, yeah. you know? And so we. if I understood now, I, now I look back and I can say, man, thank you, God. Yeah, yeah thank you, God, that you kept me here. Um, and one thing that my wife and I did say is we'll never leave. That's when we did finally make the commitment. We says we'll never leave unless God is leading us to something specific. Yeah. And the people that are that we are doing life with and we respect and are consider our um, our covering, our spiritual covering, unless they say yes. And mm. and so that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But uh, and so I, I thank God that He's kept us in this journey. Because it's his story, right? It's it, his story. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So for the next generation coming up, I think it's important for them to like that, keep that dependence on God yeah. and keep that saying, God, I be, and, and know too that there's this parallel story like we've been talking about, right? This parallel story that's going along. It's God's story, but intertwined is our own brokenness, our own pain, yeah. all those things that are happening uh, ultimately because God is working. And if we just say, God, here I am, he'll, he'll use us. Right. Like I, I, you know, even personally, I mean, I, I've gotten to experience some amazing things, yeah. you know, uh, I, I loved to sing when I was a kid, but I didn't have the voice, Yeah. but I, I was able to lead worship, Yeah. you know, and to yeah, so worship was one God. of our original worship leaders. Yeah, uh, he does a great job. Yeah, he does so, a great, great job. job, man. So and, and as we think even say. now, you know, we put, so three ladies praying in a basement, Lord, do not let this church close. The power of prayer. This is a story of the power of prayer, of God using the small. I, I love that scripture says, do not despise the days of small beginnings. Mm. And I love what it tells us in Corinthians. God has chosen the foolish things of the world and the things which are not to bring to not those things that are. God chose the weak, the foolish, to say, I'm going to show my power. Because right. then we ha all we can do is point to Jesus. Yeah. But... You know, I, 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 I love that. And I think now, I think now of the seeds that have been planted from that, um, literally thousands of people, mm -hmm. right now thousands of people gather, both internationally here, thousands gather. Mm -hmm. um, but, but then tens of thousands listening to messages via, mm -hmm. you know, podcasts and so forth, our, the radio as well, 
uh, messages preached here are, is actually going to millions. Now, there's pl- places in Africa, places around the world. Um, so New Life Centers. New Life yeah, Centers has started to minister to thousands mm-hmm. of people, mm-hmm. 80 people. Think about this. We now, there's about 100 between New Life Centers and the church, there's about 180, 190 people on staff. I mean, it took us a couple of years before we even had that many people in the church. And uh, now that's on staff. And I, I look back and say, this is you, God. This Amen. is all God. Amen, bro. And we've been able to be a part of the story. Here's what's unusual as well. People come and go from ministries. Um, it's really cool that um, we've been doing ministry together for, you know, 35 36, years, 35 years, 30-some years. And I also believe there's a lesson in there about longevity, mm-hmm. about commitment to a team to do things together, that when there's high turnover rate, when people don't stay, when people leave, when it gets tough, I don't think they always get to see the fruit of doing mm-hmm. this together. Mm-hmm. So it's been, to me, a great privilege to be a part of this God story. And I believe we're we're, we're only at the beginning mm-hmm. of what God is going to do. I mean, we've seen incredible things, but we have yet to see what God is going to do uh, for the rest of this new life story. Another 80 years. Can, can I just mention too, yeah, it's been, it's amazing to me to think again that I could walk in here and, you know, be a part of it all these years. Two other qualities I just want to mention that you don't always see in ministry and in churches. I thank God that, you know, it's, it's been here. One, I'll go back to a conversation I had with your father, Bob Job. Uh, so he was a pastor. I was, you know, again, a church attender, just learning about things. It was about 1990. It was a beautiful summer night standing outside 44th and Polina. And he was a hard guy to get a hold because everyone wanted to talk to him. So I'm talking to him, trying to soak up things, asking him questions. And this other guy walks up that was part of the church, a little bit of a difficult guy. And he starts throwing in some things. He says, hey, I saw so-and-so, a guy that had left the church with a bad attitude. And he says, he said this and that. And I could tell he was trying to get Pastor Bob to react in a negative way. And I was like thinking, why are you bringing this up? You moron, show some respect to this man. He was trying to get him to react. But your father said, oh, good old so-and-so. He said, he said something gracious about the guy. And he said, you know, new life probably isn't the church for him. <laughs> he said, new life isn't for everyone. But he treated her very respectfully. Yeah. And I thought, wow, I thought, yeah, he could have slapped that guy. Um, but he responded well. And I've seen that in your life, the way you take criticism. I've seen you be criticized, but take it graciously, strong, not giving into it, not giving a lot of room to gather a bunch of people to complain, but being gracious. Uh, so there's a humility. There's a humility yeah. that, yeah. you know what? God's going to bring mm-hmm. who he's going to bring. Some people are going to leave. Uh, we accept everyone. Not everyone's going to stay on. But uh, that humility is a huge, huge thing. God opposes the proud, gives grace, grace to the humble, to the Scripture humble. says over and over. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate that about your leadership. And that that's a huge thing. Let me just say, too, urgency along with that. Um, and part of humility, by the way, keeps you from being a Pharisee, I believe. Hmm. It's easy for churches to slide into being a Pharisee, a silo. It's us if you don't do things mm-hmm. just like us or snapping yeah. on each other because you know you didn't put the dishes away the right way. Churches break up over little silly yeah. stuff. So I appreciate the humility of trying to get other people, uh, you know, in leadership too. You're not, you know, you haven't been, and none of you guys have been about, you know, it's about me and my. I got to have more likes than you. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. not that type of nonsense, which is in our flesh. Uh, but urgency too. I think of the parable of the talents. Uh, the Lord really used that in my life. Matthew 25, Luke 19. I'm the type of guy that would naturally sit back and take it easy. Uh, but the parable of the talent says, if you don't use what you got, you're going to lose everything. Yeah. 
And I think that's been part of new life has been use it, have responsibility, get out there. God's called you to do something. Everyone should be active. So that that's lit a fire under me for a long, long mm. time. So I'm glad that the church has given an opportunity and I try and help people discover that and find that. Don't just be an attender. God yeah. hasn't called you just to fill a seat. You should fill a seat, but he hasn't called yeah. you just to give. You should give, but call you to do more than that. So I think humility and urgency are two mm. things that aren't always in, in ministry, mm. but by the grace of God, they've been here and it's impacted my yeah. life. Yeah. You know, one story that uh, comes to mind as you speak, Mike, it was early on. It was probably early 90s. I was doing a prayer walk, and I was walking in Brighton Park uh, down Rockwell Street um, around 43rd, somewhere like that, and I was complaining to God. I was having one of these complaint sessions. Mm -hmm. God... I feel like you've called us to do stuff, but we don't have any money. We don't have any people. We Our building's falling apart. I feel like mm. we have a big vision. And I was praying, but I was more complaining than I was praying. And I'll never forget, I wrote it, this down in my journal. I felt like God stopped me in my tracks, stopped me in my tracks. And it was almost as the Holy Spirit said to me, be faithful in the little. Take what you have. Don't, don't worry about what you don't have. Take what you have and use it. Mm -hmm. Use what you have. Mm -hmm. And I will bring the increase. Mm -hmm. And I remember at that time, we were a real small church, but I remember praying and, and seeing in my mind this big auditorium full of people. And later on, Curie Auditorium was, I, I, you know, I saw what my eyes had seen, just mm -hmm. a filled auditorium. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that I felt like God really said strongly to my heart at that time is and and when the glory comes don't touch it mm, don't touch the glory yeah so i've always remembered that it, it, it made a big impression on me be faithful and i will b bring the increase and i was you you don't control that you be faithful take what you have use it yeah but but when when you start seeing the fruit of it don't touch the glory amen i've always mm. been very um, that that's resonates in my mind. Don't touch the glory because, and, and boy, I hope, I hope as you listen to this podcast, if you're listening, I hope that we are bragging on what God does, mm -hmm. but I hope what you hear clearly is that all glory goes to King Jesus Amen. because he's taken right. broken, normal people and done extraordinary things through just normal broken people because he's a good God and he laughs out loud as he says, watch what I'm going to do with this uh, little poor band of college kids uh, that I've taken to the inner city and this corner that no one wants to be at. Watch what I'm going to do with three praying women. Watch what I'm going to do. I feel like the heart of God laughs out loud as he says, hey, I'm going to do stuff that will blow your mind because I'm God and I love to take the little, the despised and do extraordinary things through it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Guys, good. thank you. Thanks so much for sharing some of the stories and some of the new life history and just, you know, taking a moment to just talk about what God's done. It's been, it's an amazing story and we're looking back and we're looking forward at this time as well. But thanks. Thanks so much for just leading uh, sacrificially, leading faithfully, um, you know, answering and saying yes to God in all the different moments and all the different seasons, um, the difficult ones, the low valleys, um, saying, yes, God, I'm going to continue to be faithful. And it's been amazing to see what God has done. And um, mm -hmm. I know we're excited to see what God's going to do next. So thanks so much mm -hmm. for your time today.